SCP-7676, The Grand Symphony of 1976. The Class of 76 is a collection of SCPs and tales focused around various aspects related to school, music, and memories. I've done a video previously covering this collection, and it continues to be a very odd and unique aspect of SCP lore. The loss of life and tragedies that befall the public due to anomalies is often a focal point of this universe, but it's amplified even more when it occurs to the youth, especially when it's so inexplicable and difficult to contain or understand. SCP-7676 is perhaps in some ways a conclusion to the Class of 76 storylines, although there will no doubt be other anomalies and versions of it in the future. Let's dive in. The article begins with the object class of Mimetic and the containment class of Redacted, both of which are pretty unusual. The containment procedures state that the quarantine site established around Ground Zero of the SCP-7676 phenomenon is to be staffed entirely by personnel fitting the criteria Null Engram. Due to the current shortage of viable personnel within the Foundation, the Department of Analytics has been tasked with identifying civilians that fit this criteria and enlist them to facilitate ongoing containment of 7676. Due to the virulence of SCP-7676 and its related phenomena, contact between the quarantine site and the outside world is to be mediated through AI constructs, and the delivery of requested materials, as well as general resource replenishment, must remain fully automated. Waste materials from the site will periodically arrive at Site-19 within black body bags and personnel are to make no attempts to identify their contents, nor are they permitted to interact with them beyond facilitating their incineration. As for the Null Engram criteria, we're given a list of attributes that will disqualify someone from Null Engram status. This includes former participation in after-school clubs or extracurricular activities, including as an organizer or educator former inclusion in any concert band, marching band, or any musical ensemble during adolescence, prior attendance of any form of summer camp, or to any homecoming dance events, regardless of context, completion of an upper secondary education at an American high school or equivalent institution will also disqualify someone, as well as being born or conceived prior to December 31st, 1976. In other words, only those that performed the bare minimums when it comes to their education qualify, and even then, they still have to have been born after 1976. The rest of the document therefore is locked behind a warning, stating that it's meant for only those that possess the Null Engram clearance. On the other side, we see that the person accessing this document currently is the research lead, Julia Locke. A tracker built into the document is going to track her levels of deviancy, with high levels, above 75%, suggesting affectation by SCP-7676. We see now that the containment class for 7676 is Moxer, which has only been used before for one other SCP, that being the Broken God SCP-001 proposal, with Moxer being the Arabic word for broken. We are given some more containment procedures here that expound a bit on the threat involved. The quarantine site that was built is around the North Hillcrest High School, and every entrance into the exclusion zone, save for the front entrance, has been sealed with concrete. The front entrance, meanwhile, has been fitted with an airlock that may only be opened through majority approval of high command. Twelve Scranton reality anchors have been placed around the zone, except for the area of the auditorium, and the zone is secured with three tiers of ground-level, subsurface, and aerial automatic security. As for the auditorium, load-bearing points around it have been fitted with nitroglycerin-based molecular explosives, and if the above measures fail, they are to be detonated, with evacuation of on-site personnel being a secondary priority. 
Upon entering the exclusion zone, SCP-7676-G are to be apprehended and then sedated and prepared for surgical debridement, meaning the removal of dead or infected tissue. Medical staff are to carefully excise the dermis and subcutaneous tissue of their face, and these are to be labeled with the student's name and placed on full display in Sector 2 for monitoring. Should any of these faces begin to show signs of rot, the site will be put on high alert. Once the operation is complete, the instance must then be administered a paralytic agent and prepared for delivery to Site 19, with care taken at every step to avoid a subject's death on school grounds. Any null Engram personnel displaying outward and repeated expressions of sentimentality for the past are to be restrained and observed until the completion of their cadence event. The resulting SCP-7676-G will then be operated on and disposed of as outlined above. Finally, personnel are not to enter the hallway to the auditorium. So, to summarize, there are apparently still people coming into the high school, and if they come in, their faces are to be removed before they are killed, but not before they leave the school grounds. Additionally, this same thing could happen to the civilians that the Foundation is enlisting to help with the containment of 7676. As we get to the description, Julia's deviancy results come back as 29% currently, allowing her to proceed. SCP-7676 is the group designation for the anomalous events and phenomena centered around the North Hillcrest High School and its senior class of 1976, located in Franklin County, Wyoming. Its overall nature is highly dynamic, and it is capable of adapting to countermeasures and neutralization attempts. Its primary characteristic is a virulent infohazard, termed SCP-7676-Recall, which attacks by way of weaponizing nostalgia. People who regularly interact with information pertaining to North Hillcrest High School or its senior class of 1976 are susceptible to this infohazard, with a greater risk for those who directly handle artifacts originating from the school or personal effects of the aforementioned students. Recall is primarily empathetic, being dependent on the experiences of the individual exposed, so null engram disqualifications were put in place to limit the vulnerability of personnel involved in the project. In its early stages, the infected will regularly idealize or fret over their past, specifically their childhood. It's through this obsessive recollection that the infected may undergo a cadence event, which involves a whole slew of effects. Their temporal lobe will enlarge, and they'll develop a targeted form of hyperthymesia, also known as highly superior autobiographical memory, specifically related to memories of their adolescence. They'll experience a burning sensation behind their ears, and recall memories that begin to feature unknown places and people that they feel they're intimate with regardless. They'll feel depersonalization and body image issues, along with an irrational fear of having their faces touched, and intrusive childhood memories from the perspective of another person. Feelings of numbness, temporary bouts of partial paralysis, ego death, followed by a single-minded fixation on intrusive memories, and a separate personality forming on the basis of the intrusive memories. Finally, a violent and immediate full-body transfiguration will occur, resulting in an instance of SCP-7676-Gestalt, or 7676-G. The subject will be the perfect mental and physical duplicate of one of North Hillcrest's senior class of 1976, specifically a deceased student. Instances created through cadence events exhibit no anomalous traits besides a cellular stasis upon death, as the student's body will not decay until that student's identity takes over a new person, at which point it will rapidly rot. Instances of these gestalt infected will proceed towards North Hillcrest High School and attempt to enter the school's auditorium. 
If they are successful, all photographic or recorded depictions of the subject will alter in some way, which severely disfigures the face, leaving them unrecognizable. Heavy scarring, penetrative injuries, the removal of facial orifices, and deep lacerations have all been observed, with depictions varying across multiple images of the same subject. Furthermore, their entry inevitably triggers unpredictable, reality-altering, and chronological phenomena at random. While this was previously restricted to only events nationwide, it's no longer restricted by distance. Based on the escalation of phenomena as more student identities are subsumed by SCP-7676, as well as the body of evidence collected over the years, it's believed that a full assembly of the student body would trigger an XK-class end-of-the-world scenario. The auditorium currently houses over 99% of the North Hillcrest senior class of 1976, with the majority being composed of personnel and civilians that have undergone cadence events. The congregation continually plays a simple ten-note tune, both vocally and on all manner of orchestral instruments, with only minor aberrations such as students singing out of key or playing the wrong note occasionally. Several anomalies relating to SCP-7676 are contained and cataloged by the Foundation under a variety of item number designations. While previously studied alongside 7676, its developing virulence has led to the loss of numerous Foundation personnel on these projects. These object files have since been edited by Null Engram personnel in order to eliminate connections to 7676. So, to quickly summarize then, something very, very bad happened at North Hillcrest to the senior class in 1976. Not only did they all die, but there's now a virus spreading around that converts people into copies of that senior class, and is reassembling them all in the auditorium. Each time another student is added, it causes some unpredictable reality and time-altering event across the world, and if the whole class gets assembled again, something really bad will happen. North Hillcrest seems to be the start of the whole class of 76 phenomena but all of the connections to it have been removed in order to prevent further spread of the infohazard. SCP-7676 was originally categorized in May of 1976, after the entire senior class and its faculty did not return home from school for several days. Agents observed the affected afterwards for 48 hours, during which they performed various mundane activities such as attending classes and after-school events. The town's residents were similarly affected, with no one perceiving the situation as abnormal by any means. When not otherwise engaged in scholastic activities, students would line up in front of their lockers until the first bell of the next day. They would then sing, whistle, or hum the same tune that they're currently singing in the auditorium, in concert with one another. They would remain in this state, ignoring outside stimuli regardless of their physical condition, with some having found to have soiled themselves overnight, only to continue the melody unabated. Faculty members would lie prone and remain silent during this time. Other irregularities continue to occur, such as 13 missing students, despite them being recorded as attending class. A student council survey to determine the year-long school theme was returned with non-standard answers filled in, such as Remembrance and Symphonic. All members of the band wrote in Penance. Students exhibited a complete lack of hostility, anxiety, and any form of antisocial behavior, focusing on their studies and extracurricular activities with zealous enthusiasm. Flyers were distributed regarding an upcoming reunion concert and encouraging audience participation, with the benefactors, the Syncope Symphony, being explicitly thanked for donating several instruments. 
there was an increase in faith-based club participation in all students and teachers, including known atheists. The corpse of a freshman was found in the library, with the cause of death determined to be from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the left temple. Finally, the auditorium was found to be completely impregnable. Sometime later, a class photo was discovered in the main hall, with 13 of the depicted students displaying facial disfigurements, matching the 13 missing students. An interview was performed with the parents of one of the missing students, recorded by Julia on the first evening of the Foundation's involvement under the pretense of Harvard recruitment for their son, Kevin. As the interview begins in their home, Julia notes that the two are grinning ear to ear the entire time, with the father having a noticeable eye tick. Julia first asks where Kevin is, to which they respond that he should be in school right now, as class is in session. Julia asks what classes does North Hillcrest provide at this time of night, but the father just laughs and says that Kevin has many responsibilities, with the mother repeating that he's such a good boy. Julia tells them that she's checked the school's itinerary, and there's nothing scheduled for tonight, or the entire weekend for that matter. The two parents exchange a confused glance and fail to meaningfully respond, so Julia asks them when was the last time they saw their son. The father sniffles and says that teenagers are always zipping in and out of the house, with Kevin having so much on his plate. Something shifts in the mother, however, and as it slowly dawns on her that something doesn't add up, Julia leans in and asks her how long has it been, to which she exclaims that she heard him last night when she was standing by his bedroom door. He wasn't speaking, but he was singing, apparently with the voice of an angel. The father says that he's come such a long way, and North Hillcrest has one hell of a band, with them gearing up for the performance of a lifetime. The mother says that Kevin is so gifted, and he has an important role in the ensemble. They continue, saying that the children are their future, and their music is a beautiful thing. The two then reminisce about how they used to sing, both humming a tune. Julia, however, interrupts and says that nothing in her records indicates that Kevin was musically inclined. This seemed to really shatter their cognitive dissonance, with the mother withdrawing and bowing her head, while the father tries to speak but kneels down and takes his wife's hands in his own. The father eventually says that his son was a good kid, and you could ask anyone around town and they'll tell you the same. He would do anything to protect the people he loved. The mother says that they just want the world to know that their Kevin was a hero, as they both sob. The mother tells Julia that she should leave, while the father wonders why it had to be Kevin. In her notes, Julia writes that she should have pressed further, but she dropped the matter. On some level, she knew she was obligated to prod as much as she was able, but... It was something about this kid. She felt terrible for him, and although she didn't understand it, she felt as if she owed it to him to respect their wishes. As if she owed it to his memory. As for the rest of the students, forcible removal from school grounds was sufficient to return them and their families to their right state of mind. The faculty were able to be evacuated thereafter, but no one was cognizant enough to provide concrete information on the missing students, or the auditorium's inaccessibility. The building was closed and cordoned off under the pretense of a gas leak. The students were to be redistributed through nearby school districts for a period of two weeks, while investigators thoroughly canvassed school property and prepared for a breach of the auditorium. This would be interrupted by Incident 7676-1. Before we get to that, though, we see that Julia's deviancy numbers have gone up to 57%, which the system marks as hazardous, and notes that she should disengage for at least an hour before continuing. 
I'll mention that at this point so far, various points in the text have included an alternative bit of text as a replacement, with darker tones. It seems that this is either a sign of Julia's progressing deviancy from reading the article, or a cause of it. The first is in the containment procedures, when it mentions that care must be taken to avoid a person's death on school grounds. The additional text includes the Bible verse, Jesus spoke, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Another is when the document mentions a greater risk of infection to those who directly handle artifacts originating from the school or personal effects of the aforementioned students, replacing this with the lasting marks of the aforementioned students. A third is included when mentioning the XK-class scenario that would occur if the full student body is assembled, replacing this with a full assembly of the student body will allow the ceremony to begin. Skipping over another few similar sentiments, the alternative text begins to mention someone named Amelie, seemingly directing it towards Julia herself, remarking that Julia knows what it's like to lose someone too soon, and that she's here with them. I'll mention future examples of alternative texts as we encounter them. Incident 7676-1 occurred the evening after the removal of North Hillcrest's student body from the school, and began when several dozen students were noted to be missing from their homes, with reports of them wandering through the streets. Those who lived closest to the school began to arrive on the school grounds, congregating on the football field. Reinforcements are requested by Foundation agents, as over 15 students occupy the field and refuse to comply with orders to disband. MTFs are dispatched, but aren't expected to arrive for 20 minutes, as an on-site agent approaches the group in an attempt to intimidate them into leaving. He quickly retreats, however, when the students look at him in unison, claiming that they all have the same face. This has additional text in the document which reads, All as one is all we are. You can be two. The school bell then chimes, and a single student approaches the building. Soon the entire senior class fully assembles in the field, taking the form of a cross. All of the students begin reciting the melody from before, as Foundation staff cease defensive maneuvers and lay down in the grass. The school bell chimes again, and the exterior door connecting to the auditorium opens of its own accord. A second student departs from the crowd, following the first towards the open doorway. The sound of instruments can be heard emanating from within the auditorium, playing a discordant cacophony, each instrument being out of harmony with one another. Task forces then arrive on scene and move in to intercept, easily detaining the second student. The bell chimes again, and a third approaches. Two agents are sent in to rescue the first student, who is now steadily approaching the stage, the curtains of which are drawn. Two other agents are instructed to man the doors to ensure they do not close, while the rest of the unit works to disperse the crowd via deployment of tear gas. The two agents inside advance on the stage cautiously, calling out to the student through the din of music. He ignores them, clambering up onto the stage and disappearing behind the curtain. On the field, the team has broken the lines of student belligerents, many of whom have fled from the gas. The few remaining are swiftly detained, although one young woman is non-responsive. The two agents head onto the stage, shouting over the noise, but receive no response. They then approach the curtain and pull it open, revealing the remains of thirteen adolescents scattered across the stage, held aloft by an unseen force. Their bodies are limp, but their hands are moving, unsteadily playing their respective instruments. Due to the grievous damage to their faces, they are unable to be recognized. 
the male student that walked in retrieves a trombone, and there is a deafening crack as his neck is instantly bent backwards from a heavy concussive force. His body is held in place, and as he brings his head forwards, it can be seen that little remains of his face beyond the viscera of a large gaping wound. This text has an alternative, however, that states instead that he has the visage of an angel. He places the cup of the trombone to this wound and begins to play. One of the agents manning the door to the auditorium is struck as it attempts to close, and the two strain to keep it from shutting. The two agents inside receive word of this, and all four depart from the school. The Foundation staff that were rendered immobile by the melody recover with no issue, and the remaining students experience confusion, having no recollection of their behavior. The unresponsive student is found not to be breathing, causing the other students to cry for medical assistance. A Foundation medic kneels next to her, and attempts mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. The first attempt fails, with the medic reporting the lack of a pulse. He leans back in to try again, and the school bell chimes again. The unresponsive student's face rapidly putrefies as the medic places his lips on their mouth. He recoils and retches as the cadaver is sharply lifted into the air and towards the auditorium doors. As they do not open, her remains are instead messily pulled under the door's bottom clearance over the course of several minutes. The alternative text here states that her remains are shepherded to that golden place. She is reborn among the choir. The MTF would remain on site in order to establish an exclusion zone to prohibit future entry and prepare for isolating the town under blackout protocol. The morning after the incident, Four Foundation sites received reports of numerous medical anomalies in their jurisdictions. Over 15 comatose individuals, ages ranging from 4 to 19, were found to have suddenly expired overnight. Further, a 6-year-old patient in Tennessee who was recovering from routine surgery suffered a grand mal seizure and died within minutes. In cases where a time could be identified, these were found to correlate to the male student's interaction upon the stage. Staff at another site would also report an incident involving a car crash on Interstate 40. First responders inspecting the remains of a young adult ejected through the windshield found them to be responding to stimuli, despite their skull having been fatally crushed upon impact. Based on calls to emergency services, the accident had occurred concurrently to the dead student's absorption by the auditorium. Over the course of the next several months, childhood mortality would increase worldwide by 23% through a combination of a marked upsurge in birth defects and delivery complications, and expiration from terminal illness. This last bit has some alternative text, though, reading... All lies. You know they lie. It's what they do. All of the seniors of North Hillcrest were subsequently captured and sent to a detainment camp at Site 41. Due to their families insisting that their children were simply attending school, no disinformation measures needed to be maintained. They were held in detention for interview and study, but none were able to provide actionable intelligence or an explanation for their behavior, and were noted as speaking with a tone and cadence mimicking the notes in the melody. They did not seem to be aware they were doing so. The chaotic music emanating from within the auditorium had still not ceased by this point, but since no anomalous effects were detected in D-Class who were exposed to it, an analytics department team was tasked with recording and studying it. The date of the reunion concert endorsed by Syncope Symphony came and went, and no changes were noted to occur within the auditorium. 
although the alternative text for this says, We can wait as long as it takes. We have our whole lives ahead of us, after all. By early August, several personnel at Site-41 had adopted the speaking cadence of the students, and agents stationed within the exclusion zone began to report that family members of the students had begun to sing or whistle the melody while in public. Quarantine measures were enacted, limiting the number of afflicted personnel to 27. On August 21st, the analytics department submitted their findings, showing that with 300 hours of recorded audio, they found no correlation to any classical or contemporary arrangements. When cross-referenced to material archived in Foundation records, however, a single match was discovered. The composition was found to be a perfect reproduction of a 1957 D-Class performance of SCP-012. SCP-012 is a piece of handwritten musical score entitled On Mount Golgotha. The piece is part of a larger set of sheet music and appears to be incomplete. Subjects allowed access to it will inevitably mutilate themselves in order to use their own blood to try and finish it, to no avail, with those that manage to finish a section declaring it to be impossible to complete before self-terminating. A secondary analysis of the melody in light of this revelation identified the progression of notes within it to coincide with select notes from the opening sections of SCP-012. This information was relayed to high command, and an order for decommission was issued, resulting in the termination of all remaining 113 students. The families were handled thereafter. It seems that the Foundation was not messing around on this one. A note written earlier by Julia explains the reasoning for this. She writes that there was nothing that could be done. Research into memetics and info hazards was still very much in its infancy around this time, and there was a lot of uncertainty with how the situation would develop with a rogue element over 100 strong. This was the era when General Bo was the Foundation's liaison with the U.S. military, and he didn't take too well to rogue elements, much less ones in poorly understood fields. Affiliations of Syncope Symphony only deepened their fears, as the turnover rate for those working on a Syncope anomaly was staggering. Not simply for the cognitive dangers to personnel, but from the horrors they personally had to witness in these schools. The things these anomalies would do to their bodies and faces was unbearable, and there were times they couldn't even identify the victims. Time and again they could do nothing to stop these tragedies, such as the Camp Canab phenomena out in West Virginia, SCP-4316, Salvation High School in Indiana, SCP-3935, and Kirk Lawnwood High School, a principal location for the Class of 76 Anomalies. Either their planning was too poor, containment too light, or they simply couldn't act in time to save these kids. Without swift action to neutralize the situation, they risked further outbreak. Alternative text here says, You always held on to it, didn't you? That sense of guilt like it was somehow your fault. Amelie doesn't blame you. None of us do. Julia continues, writing that the analytics department report was the final nail in the coffin. They've been trying to reproduce something coherent from SCP-012 for decades by this point, picking up on attempts by earlier organizations dating back into antiquity, but failing miserably time and again to get anything even remotely listenable out of it. Up to this point, Syncope Symphony had been largely assumed to refer to syncopation. Some had assumed the name related to the mental effects of anomalies stemming from their influence, as in pathology, syncope refers to consciousness loss. In a grammatical sense, however, syncope defines the omission of sound from within a spoken word, such as in library or chocolate. 
the removal of key elements to change the sound of the end result. It was clear to them upon reading that report that the melody was only the beginning of a larger piece. It was the overture to On Mount Golgotha. The alternative text here, however, says that it is the song that will unmake time. Syncope taught us how to play it just right. Syncope Symphony is a group designated as SCP-4833, and I recommend either reading that article or checking out my video on it for a more full picture. Essentially, they are a group intertwined with the class of 76, and 4833 reveals that all of the members of the group were from a previous iteration of the world that ended in 1976. SCP-2000 was used to reset the world, but they were unfortunately caught in the limbo and obtained reality-bending powers in the process. Their goal is to make sure that their former world and themselves are remembered, and since most of them were high school band students, that tends to be who they target, creating a lot of the Class of 76 anomalies. A group focused around music and time intersecting with a piece of music that drives people insane or worse is probably not great. During the incident at the school, several Foundation personnel were exposed to the melody, including 18 MTF personnel and researcher James Reese. He had come to North Hillcrest to study the potential mimetic effects of the melody. As such, he volunteered to isolate himself from the Foundation at large in order to document the effects of the melody. Dr. Weirn volunteered to study him during the process. We're provided with a journal written by Dr. Weirn during this time, which reads, I went to see James Reese for the first time today. I found the containment for James to be unnecessarily strict. Two guards gave me a mental evaluation test, and I had to pass through an airlock to enter the concrete-lined containment cell. I've seen these measures used to contain some of the worst monsters in the world. Seeing James in a cell, comfortable with his furnishings he brought from home, was a nice juxtaposition. We sat down on the couch together and watched some TV. I've always found it surprising that we're able to get the six million dollar man down here. I was glad to see James was able to relax. To the untrained eye, he still seemed to be just his normal self. He made jokes about his all-expenses-paid vacation and drank quite a bit of beer. To me, however, he seemed a bit more quiet than usual. It was like he was stuck in thought. Here's a specific conversation I remember. Hey, do you know about the Panoptic Project they're working on at Site-19, he said. He spoke in a monotone to avoid transferring the meme. I know of it, I replied, in monotone as well. He was stationed to the project before he was transferred to 7676. What do you need? They were running an experiment for it. New visualization tech, something to that effect. Could you fetch the results for me? I wanted to see if I could give my thoughts on them. I shook my head. Even if I could, I doubt they'd let me take anything written by you out of here. He laid back. It's not like I'm going to be useful to the Foundation much longer. We were quiet for a few minutes after that. I wanted to ask the obvious questions, but I was not sure if I could. I've requested the instantiation of a mandatory exercise routine for James. Professionally, it's difficult to tell between symptoms of SCP-7676-M and the effects of a sustained, sedentary lifestyle. Personally, he's been getting fat. I told James about it, and while he complained that he came here to get away from his wife, he understands. Speaking of which, no real symptoms yet. Thank God. Maybe this is all there is to it. First real sign of infection today. There were signs earlier. James kept wanting to watch reruns of The Life of Riley. 
I didn't catch it at the time, but he probably watched it quite a bit as a kid. Today, all he wanted to talk about is his childhood. The summer camps he went to, playing ball in the yard. He'd talked about it before, and I figured he was just letting his life flash before his eyes. Now he seems genuinely distressed over it. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry I'm not able to talk to you anymore. Researcher Hopkins noted something similar in one of the MTF agents that was exposed. I've requested the file from him. In other news, James has almost completely become another person. I could see dozens of makeshift 50s toys scattered around the cell when I visited today. When I was talking to him, he seemed anxious for me to leave so he could get back to them. My grandfather was diagnosed with dementia. As he became worse, talking to him was like seeing a completely different person. I bring that up because I keep thinking of him whenever I talk to James. When I talk to him about the things we did together, the thermodynamics paper, the lake trip, he looks at me with the blankest stare. The difference is that James still enthusiastically talks about his childhood memories, just not the ones he actually had. Everything he's been talking about for the past few weeks never happened. Hopkins finally got back to me with that file, and it's the same. They're both fixating on these fabricated memories. I talked to James today. It's been a courtesy for the past few weeks. I listen while he recounts the childhood he never had. After a period of silence, he said, Remember how we used to hop the fence at the mall to steal cigs? I nodded along and thought of the time we'd had our first smoke. It was the three of us back then, Adam, Kylie, and myself. We'd each say we were at the other's house, but really all we ever did was look for trouble. I've never smoked in my life. I'm going to have to sequester myself in the cell. Hopefully I can provide a more detailed account of my condition than James did. It happened today. I was sitting with James when all of a sudden he started panicking and rubbing behind his ears. I blinked and James was gone. A teenager I didn't recognize stood in his place. It was like he was turned inside out. His tongue was yanked out of his mouth and his new skin came out with it. In other news, I've had more intrusive memories. I can't remember my own mother, my graduation, my career at the foundation. All I know is that I should freak out about it. It's trying to get me to panic. I can barely remember my old self. What are these words? This isn't my handwriting. I really can't write in this anymore. Who's Reese? Who's Weird? I don't know why they're keeping me in here. I just want to see Mom and Dad. They must be worried sick. Obviously a pretty distressing and messed up virus. There were a couple bits of alternative text mixed in with the journal, notably when Weirn mentioned a lake trip to James. The alternative text says they should have never been in that water, just as we had gone to school on the wrong day. That one moment is all it takes. The Foundation knows. They know who we are. They know what we're trying to do. Of course, any mention of both a lake and the Class of 76 brings to mind SCP-2316, 
a lake in which human bodies manifest that causes people to identify them as individuals they knew from childhood, and subsequently entering the lake to join them. Curiously, despite all of this, Julia's deviancy scan now comes back at 19%, stating, Sanity Confirmed. We're next given an abridged timeline of events that have been connected to the 7676 phenomena. Not all of these events were known to be related at the time they occurred, but have since been correlated. In December of 1976, Notes recovered from Dr. Hopkins and an infected Dr. Wiern form the basis for designating the emergent SCP-7676-R and 7676-G phenomena. Dr. Wiern is placed under quarantine, and the former James Reese is isolated for study. All of the personnel present during the initial incident are detained and placed in quarantine, as are any personnel that have been exposed to the melody in the course of their research. Over at the exclusion zone, an agent becomes violent upon being unable to recognize his reflection and has to be sedated. Two infected personnel at Site 41 transfigure into North Hillcrest students, and due to the sound emitted during the process, it becomes referred to as a cadence event. At Site 19, The head researcher for SCP-332 is recorded humming the melody in the site cafeteria, despite contact tracing revealing that there was no previous exposure. SCP-332 is the class of 1976 Kirk Lawnwood High School Marching Band, and the alternative text here reads, They were not yet ready. In February of 1977, a conference regarding Syncope Symphony is held at Site-41, with containment specialists and project leads for a number of anomalies with ties to the group in attendance. Police reports filed in Franklin County and the surrounding areas reveal that several alumni who had graduated from North Hillcrest between 1946 and 1975 have gone missing. Dr. Hopkins is discovered by his secretary holding a one-way conversation over the telephone, and the school bell chimed again in the exclusion zone, resulting in an agent abandoning his post and entering the auditorium. All subjects infected with the infohazard at Site-41 have now undergone a cadence event, and all but three are terminated, with their bodies being placed in cold storage. One rots at a rapid pace while in transit. Several personnel in quarantine have not yet begun to display signs of the virus. At Site-17, Dr. Baker experiences a sudden seizure while developing photos taken within North Hillcrest. First responders note that her eyes had changed momentarily from hazel to blue, with some alternative text remarking that It's been so long since I've had eyes that can see. In March of 77, locals in Franklin County began digging a tunnel five miles from the exclusion zone as part of a sewage project. Unbeknownst to the Foundation, the tunnel had been diverted by a converted individual embedded in county leadership. Dr. Baker is meanwhile reported as missing, while three converted individuals attempt to enter the exclusion zone under the cover of darkness. Two are detained, though the third is shot while wrestling for an agent's weapon. The school bell then chimes, and her body is forcibly drawn to the auditorium. On-site personnel are subsequently issued non-lethal weaponry. Some alternative text here says, She's calling for you. Can't you see how she needs you? What would you do to give her a second chance? To give all of us a second chance? Please, I'm so cold. Over at Site 41, Dr. Hopkins is seen by medical staff due to discovering a lump in his breast, which is diagnosed as a benign tumor and scheduled for removal. 
In June, the exclusion zone was broadened to 2.5 kilometers in radius, with property within the zone purchased by Foundation Front Companies and demarcated against trespassing. Foundation personnel have embedded themselves into governance of the surrounding provinces, discovering and apprehending the converted individual in Franklin County. Inside of the zone, an agent is rushed into urgent care, having been found bloodied and near death in his quarters. The flesh around his chin and mouth had been mostly sawed off and discarded. The three personnel that have not shown any signs of infection, one being Julia, have records indicating that each of them had been homeschooled as children. In July, the photographs of 30 North Hillcrest students at Site-41 became affected by SCP-7676 overnight. Staff at North Hillcrest investigate the containment breach and discover the exit point of a man-made tunnel on school property, a few meters from the auditorium's exterior entrance. Surveillance footage is found to be doctored, having been playing earlier recordings on loop. The tunnel is collapsed and the outer door was sealed with concrete. Meanwhile, several population centers reported seeing a large number of children fly through the sky. Approximately twice as many children nationwide were stillborn in a three-month period following this event, and the trend is documented by the civilian medical community. Dr. Hopkins enters surgery for his tumor but as it is removed, it's revealed to have a face which begins to audibly wail. The lead surgeon and both assistants cease the operation and begin to consume it over Hopkins' exposed surgical wound. All three undergo a cadence event, but are terminated before they can escape the facility. The SCP universe really is a wonderful place. Hopkins is treated, however, and placed in containment. Some alternative text here reads, The doctors couldn't save him, just like they couldn't save her. Only you can. 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 Only you understand. The following month, 14 instances of converted individuals gain access to the school using Dr. Baker's credentials. Nine are able to make it to the auditorium, and the rest are sent to Site-41 for processing. The flesh of Dr. Hopkins' back and chest can be seen to be bulging and inflamed in several places. Within three days, the bulges take on the shape of human faces which writhe and attempt to push themselves upward from within. Though Hopkins is euthanized through lethal injection, the faces continue to struggle and weep. His body is incinerated. An analytics department meta-analysis of personnel affected by the anomaly reveals cases of the virus emerging wherever files relating to Syncope Symphony are accessible, albeit only in cases where those files include information relating to North Hillcrest. SCP-7676 is subsequently classified as an infohazard, and infosec measures are initiated across all sites. Site-41 and its staff are apparently liquidated, with alternative text stating, Anything to protect their precious veil. It cannot last forever. There must come a point when the curtain is pulled back. We have quite the show prepared. The three personnel that were homeschooled are all assigned to the exclusion zone alongside a ten-man crew of D-Class. High Command begins the transfer of personnel with homeschooling and their background to the exclusion zone as well. Two years later, a D-Class riot breaks out at the exclusion zone, with assistance from one of the homeschooled researchers. They overpower security and breach the school interior. As the school bell chimes and the auditorium opens, 27 are able to make it inside. The vector of the virus's transmission for the researcher was determined to be her attendance at a summer camp in 1957. 
In the UK, after a several-hour delivery attempt resulting in an emergency C-section, an infant is born with the face of one of North Hillcrest's students. There's also a marked increase in psychopathy towards children recorded worldwide, although the alternative text changes this to an increase in life expectancy worldwide. The Null Engram qualifiers are finalized at this point, with Foundation staff in the exclusion zone isolated and supplied by an MTF. Much later, in 1996, a team of task force members in the exclusion zone attack and overwhelm site staff. Using high explosives and inside knowledge, they quickly bypass security forces and gain access to the school. Eleven more instances join the auditorium, and sixteen Foundation casualties are recorded. After the recitation of Angelus at the Vatican, Pope John Paul II leads the public in a rendition of the Golgotha melody. The alternative text here states, The sheep follow his voice. They will know him and be of him. The song that plays from the heavens is for you and me. It is for Amelie. For the next six months, infrequent reports of large objects and people randomly appearing and ceasing existence were received by Foundation fronts. Julia is promoted to head researcher of the 7676 Project, being the only living staff member with expertise on both Syncope Symphony and 7676. The supply chain to the exclusion zone is automated, and Julia implements conscription measures to replenish the site with civilian personnel. A note from the Overwatch Council states that as of February 13, 1996, all of the students are present within the auditorium except for one. They have taken the liberty of reclassifying 7676 to Moxer as a result. Every measure in their power should be taken to prevent the auditorium from being completed, as the side effects so far have been disastrous, and they have enough tertiary documentation to know that a full completion of the auditorium would initiate a ZK-class terminated reality scenario. They also write that they know this has been hard on Julia, but ask her to please hang in there. Between March of 96 and July of 2022, 312 attempts were made by the final student identity to reach the school. Though 45 of these instances are through the infection of D-class conscripts within the site itself, all of them are identified in the early stages of the virus and processed according to procedure. Due to her advanced age, however, the O5s issue an order to Julia for her to choose a successor among the conscripted D-Class. They are currently awaiting her response. In the final part of the document, we're given Julia's response to the Council. It reads, Dear Sirs and Madams of Overwatch Command, I have received your request for my retirement, and I must respectfully decline. I know SCP-7676 better than anybody. I am the only one who knows what needs to be done. After all these years, I finally see it. How deeply have you poured into my past? Of course, you were looking for infection vectors, anything that might risk breaching containment. You had to have known my medical history. You know what I went through in 75. For 23 days, my darling Amelie fought for her place on this earth. 23 days of prodding, of surgeries, of cold hands and unfamiliar voices, blinding lights beating down on eyes that would never open. We were fortunate to have access to the level of care afforded to those in our line of work. In the end, it simply wasn't enough. She was simply too underdeveloped to breathe on her own. What little time her father and I had with her, 
brief moments of respite for skin-to-skin contact, I hold those blessed few hours with me in my heart, a life sustained only in memory. She deserved to have a chance, the opportunity of life. She deserved to love, to laugh, to experience the successes and the failures and sadness and joy and all those small moments we all take for granted. It's the gift those kids at North Hillcrest are trying to give us all, the change they're trying to make. It's what syncope has been working towards all this time, a chance at life for those who had had theirs stolen. I'm going back to that school, back to where it all started. I will take my place among the chorus, and with every goddamn ounce of air in my lungs, I will sing all of my breath for hers. I have not been compromised. My name is Julia Locke, and I am of sound mind. I am acting of my own volition in order to uphold our noble foundation's third mission statement, the order to protect. The salvation of countless thousands is at stake, and it would be a failure of my duty, both to our organization and as a mother, to not mend the wrongs of the past and ensure a brighter path ahead for humankind. I won't be here to see that tomorrow. I'll never witness with my own eyes when all of our families are reunited and the streets come alive with precious laughter and song. I know that I'll never see my little Amelie. I can only pray that she will keep me in her memory. The deviancy scan now shows Julia with a 95% rating, signifying permanent damage and a compromised status so the system scrambles an MTF to apprehend her and shuts down the computer. The shutdown, however, is blocked by an admin override, which then prompts a level 5 shutdown. The text then states that Agent Julia Locke is to be detained, and that mobile task forces have been scrambled to the exclusion zone, along with the activation of diamond containment breach protocols. The system seems to be corrupted, however, and begins running some basic reality verification tests. It then states that 1 plus 1 no longer equals 2, followed by a series of the word Y, and then a bunch of random letters and numbers. It then says shutdown complete, followed by There's no time for tears. Your mind like a sieve. The concert is about to begin. The document ends with a picture of the North Hillcrest High School class of 1976, showing every single student's face marred in some way, along with the caption, We've been waiting so patiently. Thank you. There's one last thing before it's over, though. Normally at the bottom of an SCP document, there's a section that allows users to rate the article, and various links and tools, including a discussion forum for the article. This one, however, shows the rating for the article listed as 1,976, and if we check out the discussions, we see some pretty unusual posts. A user named James Reese posted, What is this? My entrails are spilling out in waves of red fluid all over the tile floor, and it doesn't hurt. Someone else replied to this and said, The same thing is happening to her, and asks why she can't see him. She also posted that when she closes her eyes, she can only see all the people she's hurt. Another user comments wondering why he's here when it wasn't him. He didn't kill them. How was he supposed to know he'd come back? Someone else replied that even after God rendered them to dust, you still pretend like nothing happened. We see a post from a J. Locke who asks, Is this really the end? 
The world had so much more to offer than high school. Where did we go wrong? Why did we have to undo everything? When I helped you forfeit your lot in life, I always assumed that ennui would come after that, and we would all be together again. Not like this. Thomas Weirn replies that, There's no more future left to hurt her, and the world was always meant to be this way. Another user says that, We called them the best times of our lives because the rest of it was unbearable. To which Jaylock replies that, She sees their point, and the children are our future. If we try to make a new post to the discussion, some text is already filled in for us, which reads, Look around. Is this really something that you want to be involved in? Close me and run away as fast as you can, before it's too late. The last aspect of the article left for us, then, is a haunting melody, likely the same one that was at the core of SCP-7676, the overture to On Mount Golgotha. So, there is quite a bit of weirdness in this one, as there tends to be in every class of 76 SCP. The class of 76 is about nostalgia, memory, and loss of innocence, and intersects with Syncope Symphony, a group of individuals lost in time that refuse to accept the new world that has replaced their own, intent on forcing everyone to remember theirs. In the end, it seems that they did indeed end our reality through their grand performance, although what exactly happened at that point is hard to say. Things definitely got pataphysical at the end, as we saw various individuals that became part of 7676, including Julia, posting onto an SCP discussion board. Presumably the ending of reality allowed the Symphony, a group outside of time, to transcend to a different reality, at least in some fashion. It's notable that the theme of the SCP-7000 contest of which this article was an entry for was luck. While on the surface this seems tangential at best, one of the authors, S.D. Locke, explains that the article relates to the theme in the sense that life is a lottery. Some are blessed to live long, healthy lives, and some are not for various reasons often outside of anyone's control, even something as simple as going to school on the wrong day. SCP-7676 involves an awful lot of tragedy, specifically related to a younger generation, and there's nothing fair or right about what happened to the class of 76. In the end, Julia decided that the symphony was trying to give people that had lost out on an opportunity for life another chance, and that that was a noble cause, although it would sure seem that she was infected, despite her claims. Unfortunately, noble cause or not, two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs>